Welcome to Storytelling. This week's guest brings over 12 years of financial expertise, serving diverse companies from SMEs to large corporations. With a mission to prevent failed acquisitions, she's dedicated to assisting business owners in achieving sustainable growth, transforming businesses from lifestyles to valuable assets. Having transitioned from corporate to establishing multiple recurrent income streams for investments in businesses, property and high-value metals, she also led a successful acquisition within her own consulting firm. Her team now actively engages in three to five deals monthly, both in the UK and globally. In this episode, she provides valuable advice on how to transition from a corporate employee to an acquisition entrepreneur. Please welcome Julie Wilkinson. Hello, Julie, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Julie, can you share more about your personal journey and what inspired you to transition from a corporate career to becoming an acquisition entrepreneur? Basically, I never really considered starting my own business for a lot of years. I worked in corporates. I'm a charter management accountant by trade, and I just worked in corporate companies. And my husband said to me one day, well, you should think about starting your own firm. I'd never really thought. And I thought, oh, it seemed a bit of a hassle, like starting, not really because I couldn't do the work, but you know what it's like running a business. So what I actually did was I started a CV writing business on the side when I was at my old job. One, because I quite like doing them. And two, just to see. And it took off. I did about 100 in a year. And it made me realize I was a bit more entrepreneurial than I thought, because I'd never really saw myself like that. So then I did a bit of research. I asked. 20 businesses what their accountants did for them and 100% of them only saw their accounts once a year which I was quite shocked at and I did a big project in my last company and long and short of it is they'd done an acquisition and one of my roles is I had to streamline three entities into the group entity and one of those entities was a family-run business and that was probably my first ever experience of working with a smaller business and it was quite poorly run. And that alongside this survey that I did, maybe just realized that I felt there was a gap in the market for SMEs not really getting the full financial support they needed. And then that was the reason I decided to start the company because I went after I made the decision to start, I did a bit of research with other accounting firms and I asked other accounting firms like what they offered. And I was sort of told nobody valued management accounts. You couldn't see it. See it. So typically, practice accountants were going for sort of bookkeeping and tax because it's kind of like an easy sell. And what I realised was that I knew that I had a skill set because I had twenty years in corporate finance, and which I don't think a lot of practice accountants have that knowledge. They're quite siloed in their experience. Whereas I've had worked in probably every finance department within a corporate company, so I had a lot of wide range experience. So, what were the gaps that you discovered? When I sort of challenged, because when they said that nobody valued the management account, you couldn't sell it, I sort of challenged it because I found that a bit unusual because obviously in a corporate company, you wouldn't do anything without sort of information and reporting. I know it's of a bigger side, but it's still the same principle. It's really important. So when I sort of challenged what they were offering and they sort of told me what they were saying that they saw a management account wasn't my experience of what a month end and business partnering is in a corporate company. And I thought just because 
it's a bigger company doesn't mean SMEs don't need that service. It might not be as complex and they might not need as much rubber tape as a corporate company. But the principle of corporate governance and understanding your numbers is really crucial for the business to succeed. And that's why so many businesses fail, especially from cash flow. And that is happening because people don't understand their numbers, especially accounting principles and financial statements, like the understanding of it. I didn't know essentially upfront how I was going to sell it, but I could see that I felt like I had experience that they didn't have in that type of area which was a bit of a gap in the market for me and I think you just mentioned a phrase that's really important in business and it's understanding the numbers not only as an accountant but as a whether you're working in sales or various functions I think the numbers is the one thing that drives the business and if you don't understand that then almost you don't understand your business what would you say about that in theory, in the end, if you don't have any money, you don't have a business. And most things other departments do will impact the financing because we see that in corporate world. Like ultimately, when other things go wrong in the business, what it impacts is the profit and cash of that business. So finance, they're always the back end thought, but actually it's one of the most important areas because if you can't manage your cash and finances, that is what will make the business go under. And obviously that will be impacted from, am I getting enough sales? Am I doing enough marketing and things like that? But you could also be in too many of them things and not tracking it. From my experience now of working with a lot of SMEs, and now obviously we specialise in acquisitions, the biggest problem SME businesses has the owner thinks they need to do too much themselves. They're not bringing their teams in. One of the things we try and help is make teams become financially literate. Because what's important is if the owner knows everything, they know too much. So if you've got a sales director that sales director should be accountable for their budget, which means theoretically they should then have a cash flow, they should have a forecast and they should have a management accounts. And if that isn't in place, then that's the type of thing people are missing because what is the point of the owner getting all the information on sales and then making all the decisions when they've got the sales director? It means they're not actually utilising their directors properly. So your consulting firm has a mission to save the world from failed acquisitions. Can you delve into the motivation behind this mission? I had a bit of acquisition experience, I suppose, from corporate. Like I said, after they'd acquired and I went into this entity, I'd never really thought about acquisitions itself, if I'm honest, when I first started the business, because I was predominantly doing CFO services. But I kind of got brought into it because some of the businesses that I worked for on a CFO basis had acquired a business. And what I realised was that not only were individual businesses suffering, People were then trying to acquire and sell businesses that really weren't financially literate themselves. There's a lot of courses out there at the minute teaching people to do like these no money down deal, meaning people can buy businesses with none of their own capital, which is fine. But ultimately, I think what's happening is there's a lot of people coming to the market that are just thinking they can buy any business because they don't need to put any money in. And it's a quick and easy way to make the money. But the problem is these businesses still need to be ran after the acquisition. And there aren't that much financial support out there in the market for acquisitions. It's all about the deal flow and finding it and negotiating it. But that's fine. But what happens nine months in when now this person running this business is now accountable for big businesses? And that was probably where the mission comes from, because 95 businesses that go to market don't sell anyway, because sellers typically in the UK aren't ready for sale. A lot of them live in a bit of a dream world or fancy or getting told by brokers it's worth a certain amount of money. But actually, it's not because it's too owner operated. Hence, although acquisitions do still happen, but then what happens is either they're being bought by uneducated buyers 
And that's them making deals collapse after acquisition. And, and you know, it is a problem because these are people's jobs and families and people have run these businesses for years. You know, it's impacted the economy and the communities because people are losing jobs because typically people are, could be buying acquisitions that aren't really fit to run it. And you're an expert on advising on growth, exit and valuations. Could you elaborate on how businesses can strategically use mergers and acquisitions for sustainable growth? Yeah, and I don't, M&A is quite a, I think see people get a bit scared of it. It sounds quite a corporate word, but in mm. essence, what it means is someone buys a business. And I actually think there's a lot of opportunity out there for smaller businesses to do acquisitions, but I do think they need to be ready and have the right support to do it. So ultimately, how we would typically work with someone needs to acquire, the first thing we would say to someone is, what's their longer term goal? Because the, the point of an exit plan really is for the person to think to themselves, what do I want to do when I retire? But retiring doesn't necessarily mean I have to be 60 and don't want to work. A lot of people want to create wealth. And I believe wealth comes from generating income from not utilizing time. That doesn't mean you don't ever work. It just means you've built something that gives you sustainable income. For people to have that freedom, sometimes they need to do something they don't like that much to get some money in the first place. So what we say to people is, what's your vision? Like, what's your longer term goal? And then help people forecast and build their own business initially to see if they continue their business or their venture, what they're doing now, organically as they have been building, can they realistically get to that point in that period of time? Because what a lot of people might do is build it and then go, oh, I can't do it, and then just extend the time frame. So then why extend the time frame? Why not change how you get there so you can actually make that goal so for example if someone wanted to go from one million to six million in five years if their business had only ever gone up sort of 10 percent every year it's unlikely they can probably get from one to six in five years organically and that would be the type of time someone would look to acquire because the acquisition basically gains you access to a large pool of clients and income on a quick basis essentially because you bolted it onto your existing business to then expand the growth quicker so that would be one reason people acquire. And then I suppose another reason might be because they want to access new markets or technology. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to exit their business or they haven't quite done the planning required to actually get to where they want to be? Well, the first thing I'd say is there's no time like the present. I mean, there's no point in dwelling on the past. You know, if you haven't done it, you're not at that point and you want to change, then the time to start is now because ultimately nothing will ever change unless you make it change. So I think that whole process I said about the planning, that is where I would start. You know, whether you've done it in the past or not is irrelevant. The fact is, if you're not getting to where you want to be, you've got to stop and revisit the plan. That is a business plan and a financial plan. Obviously, the financial plan must align to the business plan because you have to know you can make the numbers. For me, I don't think there is anywhere else to start apart from planning because it's going to be the plan that's going to tell you how you're going to get to where you want to go. And you have to be then open in that plan to other opportunities. And that might mean you need to be speaking to you know other people and look at other opportunities. Because also, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then that's a whole nother conversation. Because if you're not currently enjoying the business and you just want out, it's okay planning and saying, I'm going to get there in five years. But if your heart's not really in it, will you really achieve it? So I think there's a realistic approach to it and then a planning approach. So I think the planning is... Can I achieve it? But you've also got to ask yourself, do you want to achieve that particular goal? And that can feel quite scary because obviously if you don't want to do it in that goal, that's a whole nother remit now because you might now be saying, well, I want to do it in a different industry. But why not? Lots of people change industries 
but you've got to be able to have the mindset and the capability of thinking a bit wider than just sort of being siloed in that business. Entrepreneurial's journey can be very unpredictable, as you said. How do you think entrepreneurs can better educate themselves on this crucial aspect of financial planning? So, for instance, I had someone come on my podcast, The Build Nexit. Her name was Fiona. And she sold her last business for a life-changing amount of money. But she had gone through three, I think it was three business exits previously. So she had probably spent 30 years building and selling businesses. And in the end, she ended up doing some of their own financial courses. She did like an MBA in mm. finance. Now, obviously, not everybody has time for that. But even though she did that, she did not use a CFO or an accounting firm. At the end of the day, it comes down to knowledge. Accountants and CFOs and bookkeepers, you know, we all study and they're all needed. And I think one of the problems is people are trying to do too many things themselves and not just in finance, just in general. But obviously, I'm more in the finance area. If you're doing your own bookkeeping, as an example, I don't think you should be as a business owner. And I'd be thinking, right, the first thing I need to do is get a budget to get me someone help to free up some time so you have time to think about things. And then you just need to educate yourself along. I mean, there's lots of books, there's lots of online courses, but I do think business owners need to become a bit more financially literate. As an accounting consultancy firm, one of the things we do is we help people become financially literate. Like as part of our services, we would be trying to teach them the understanding of the financial statements, but it doesn't just happen overnight. And this lady that came on, she ended up getting this life-changing amount and she believes she tripled the value of her business by three times over just by understanding financial information. So what advice would you give to someone they've just started out and what would you say that are the top three main principles that they should follow as an entrepreneur? If you're just starting out, I think financially planning right at the beginning is quite important. And I think the most important thing is, because what I hear a lot of small business owners say is, oh, so I make this money and I can pay myself. And yes, obviously you need to pay yourself. But I would say from the beginning, think a little bit bigger than that because paying yourself is one thing. But the problem is if you want to grow and you've got quite ambitious, it takes money to grow. So when you're looking at net margin, so a lot of people just look at sales and gross margins. They're not always thinking about their overheads. And obviously the, the purpose is your net margin which should theoretically be your cash available. If you're not investing in a lot of assets, let's just say it's a service-based business, then theoretically your cash flow should match your P&L within reason. So let's just say you've got your sales and then you've got your overheads and you've got a net margin of, say, 35%. That 35% is what you, before tax, you obviously then pay tax. So that profit after tax is what we'd say is then spare money. You then choose how you invest that money. You can either choose to pay yourself it all or you can choose to pay yourself less than reinvest it. And what a lot of people are doing is this is why they then don't invest in things like bookkeepers and maybe marketing agencies and coaches and things like that, because they see, oh, my God, I've got to earn this amount of money. I don't have the money to pay. Well, then what you've got to do in that case is go back to the drawing board and work out, well, how can you sell things differently so you do have that money? Because you need to plan, what do I need to pay myself? And theoretically, you need an excess margin on top of that number so that you have cash to invest. And that, I think, is one of the most, to me, fundamental things, because where a lot of people fall down, in my experience of what I see, is they get stuck in a rut. What they do is they build themselves a job. So they move from a job to become an entrepreneur because they want more time. But then what happens is the time gets busy because as they get more clients, they haven't priced it right at the beginning because they haven't really planned. OK, not only do I need to pay myself, I need to pay a bookkeeper. I need a marketing person. I need this. Now, those things all need a budget. 
And that budget needs to obviously come from sales. But unless you plan it to know what to charge, how do you know if you're ever going to have it? And what would you say to someone? Because there are many people who are listening. They've started a business. They're struggling in that business. They may even be looking for investors to invest in their business. What advice would you give to those individuals? At the end of the day, you have to stop and change something. And I know it's difficult because when you're stuck in a rut and you don't feel like you've got the money, but ultimately nothing's going to change unless you change something. So the first thing is most people need a 12-week cash flow because you need to see out what money is going to come in and what money is going to go out. And I think sometimes people don't look at sort of some of the simpler things they can do. Like not everything needs to be big, massive investments and really complicated. There are small ways that you can get investment that are quite cheap that can help you. So, for example, if someone was struggling and wanted to do a business plan, but they didn't know how to build a business plan, but they didn't think they had the money to spend it. They've got to decide how confident are they in themselves of doing that, because if it was me, I would go and look to see, well, can I get an overdraft? Could I get an overdraft or could I get a credit card? Could I pay for some of my things on credit card? And could I then use some of the money I would have used on those things to then pay someone to help me with a business plan? Yes, it's a risk because obviously you might do the business plan, it might not come off, but that is business. Business is a risk. And at the end of the day, if you're an entrepreneur, you must have some sort of risk appetite or you wouldn't be doing it. But you've got to be confident in your choices. If you're not, you're making too many decisions by fear. Because I think decisions by fear are ones where people fear spending the money but that is showing to me they don't have confidence in what they're choosing so therefore you've got to be like really clear on what you're trying to do to know that you've got the confidence to actually take the action there's not going to be any quick fix if you've been doing something for three years and you're a bit stuck in a rut you don't have any money you're not going to get out of that in a month but what you're going to have to do is take small steps to do it. So that might be, can you pay yourself slightly less? Or can you go to your own finances and stop some of your own direct debts and some of your own personal spending to not draw so much money out of the business to allow that business to accumulate additional spare money so that you can get advisors to help you? They're the types of things that you can do. And that's where the planning comes in, in my opinion, is, is how can you take small steps to get there? Because the truth is, it's unlikely if you're stuck in a rut and you don't have any financial plans that any investor is going to come and invest at that point. Because the first thing an investor is going to ask me is, where's your cash flow? Where's your forecast? Where's your business plan? And if you haven't known how to do them things in the past, you're not just going to suddenly be able to do it. But you can take small steps to try and get some extra cash to then pay advisors to help you gain the knowledge to then be able to get those bigger investments. Your company is quite successful. What lessons did you learn along the way? Well, there has been a lot. When I started, I didn't quite know exactly where I wanted to go because I don't think any business owner does, essentially. But I had a vision of something that I wanted to offer. So I think one of the things I did right at the start is I did turn down quite a lot of work. I didn't take on everything because I knew I'd get too busy And that is riskier because obviously sometimes you're not getting the money so you can turn it out. But that was one of the things I did. And I think I suppose my learnings have been probably using some of the wrong people, like some of the decisions I've made. Like I've used quite a lot of different marketing and I actually think learning things. So when I started to outsource social media and marketing right at the beginning, I don't think I was really that clear on my business model. And I think I wasted quite a lot of time and money outsourcing things when I wasn't really clear. Since I became clear, now I can outsource a lot of things because I can guide people on what to do for my own vision. But right then, I couldn't. I do think there is a bit of 
how much can you outsource at the beginning or how much do you need to learn yourself? And I think that probably comes down to the person's attributes. Like I wasn't a natural sales and marketing person, whereas I'm obviously really good at finance. So I could build my plans and have my cash flows, but I wasn't that good at my marketing strategy LinkedIn. So I had to choose where do I invest my money first? And I chose that route. Other people might be different, like marketing people might be experts at marketing and might need to invest their money in cash flows and bookkeeping. So I think it does come down to the individual attributes of what they feel skills they've got and what they feel they don't have. You've also managed to diversify your income stream as well. How important is it to have a diversity of different income streams? Oh, so important. I would say within a business model, I would never suggest you have more than 25% income coming from one type of source of income within a business. There's too many scenarios where if you have too much revenue coming from a low number of customers or one type of service or project that markets can change really quickly and you can lose everything overnight. So diversification in a business is really important, like um, having different services, different offerings, different ways of making money. That's from an individual entity perspective. But I think as a person, it's really important to have different income streams as well, because like the business, how it's got a risk, you as a person have got a risk. I mean, if all you do is get income from your business, what happens if something happens to your business and you don't, you know, do you have your own capacity? And to be honest, I've been in that situation. I think we all are. When we start a business, all of our time and effort goes into that one business. And that I've diversified as a person. I'm still diversified. I still have a reliance on my business, but I'm changing it slowly. So I have other avenues now, personally. So I, I think, again, it comes down to what are you doing with your cash? When you have spare money in your business, are you thinking about what you're actually investing it in? Like, yes, you might need to invest it in your own business. But when you pay yourself your money, are you also thinking, how can I diversify that income to then make other income streams as well? What would you say are the scary aspects of this journey for you? Like everyone, I think it is just as an early stage business, things are, can be hard. I mean, we've acquired a business, you know, and there is a strain on cash flow and managing that and managing teams is quite hard. You know, we have good and bad times. I think in business, it is all fluctuating. People have seasonalities. There's times when you have lots of work, there's times when you don't. And we're no different to any other business. We have those times as well. What I've done is looked at myself and seen how can I change myself to make my life better when I'm going through those stresses. In 23, I really transitioned and I started to get into like meditation and manifestation. And I actually got myself a bit of a trauma coach because sometimes I could never switch off I was I felt like I had to work all the time and part of that happened for me because I started my business just before COVID so I got drawn into it and I'd never really got out of it but I think over this year I, did, I have invested in myself a lot and what I've learned is the problems are never going to go away and the bigger you get the more staff you get the problems just get worse because more things happen like the overheads get bigger you've got to pay the problems will never disappear the question is how do you act and come over those fears because there's nothing wrong with having problems problems are actually good because problems help you realize where you can improve the point is how you overcome them and not dwell on them and become negative and allow that to impact the future and probably I've transitioned a lot in the last 12 months and I feel like I'm in a much better place now what would you say has been the main factor for your success I think investing in myself And I know it's hard for everybody because everyone comes from a different income background. And this is why I said earlier about taking these small steps to get money. So probably investing in myself. I remember the first year 
I basically worked alongside my job for nearly a year. So I, I worked like nonstop for a year to build up money in the bank. And when I then started the business, that allowed me the freedom to choose who I worked with and to have money to invest. I think the first year I probably spent £15,000 on sort of coaches, personal development. And over the years, I've always invested in myself in different areas of where I think I need work. So I think the investment in myself is one probably being really clear like everything I talk about here like all this governance and reporting I do all that in my business I have my own cash flows I have my own reporting so when you say like how do I overcome the challenges probably that is how because I see the future like the future doesn't always look good and that is just life the point is can you see it and can you find a way to get around it because that's just business at the end of the day if I didn't have that I could be in a completely different place right now I think I take risks I have my own risk level and I take quite a few risks, which I'm not saying is right or wrong, but that's just me personally. So I think they're probably the three things for me that have helped me become where I've got to. Julie, your journey from corporate to entrepreneur is truly inspiring. And I really appreciate the valuable insights that you shared with the audience today. I just want to say thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. No, thank you so much for having me. If you would like further details about Julie, then please follow the link in the show notes.